Well, welcome to our fifth chapter of our Lenten Bible study, or Bible study, book study on the way of the disciple. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, a very unique title this week, which is The Necessary Wastefulness of Love. Uh, before we get into that, I'll maybe just do a little check-in with Sarah because we recorded last week on Thursday and today we're doing it on Tuesday. Uh, maybe just to give us an update how you're doing and also uh, what are you up to because we're not recording on Thursday. <laughs> yes, hi everyone. Uh, I'm well. We have some snow outside today, and I was looking forward to spring, but I think mm -hmm. it's around the corner. Mm -hmm. um, and I, on Thursday, well, first of all, we have a meeting in the morning That's with right. our team, with the diocese, during mm -hmm. our usual recording time. But then after that, I'm heading out to Calmer, Iowa, to visit a good friend of mine, Father Rob Gross, who I've mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been doing the consecration to St. Joseph together, so we'll complete that at the morning mass on the Feast of St. Joseph. And then he also asked me to be a speaker at his youth retreat that weekend. Oh, so cool. I'm talking about the Eucharist, that. my story, yeah. uh, and coming to love the Eucharist. So that's my witness talk that I'll give to the students. Awesome. That'll be, that'll be awesome. That'll be great. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And what age group? I think it's the high schoolers. And this is the community I was talking about last week also that had the suicide. Oh, so yeah. if you all would pray for me and for mm -hmm. them that this would really minister to their hearts, I would be grateful. Yeah, we'll definitely lift you up in prayer. Um, yeah, we're here at the um, Newman Center. Uh, while we've been moving from room to room to room, which you obviously can't see because we're on podcast, is uh, we've had uh, our plumbing fixed. We can finally go to the bathroom in peace. And we also had uh, drop ceilings put in because the ceilings were falling apart uh, when I first arrived here back in July. So um, everything is a mess right now, but we finally have lighting and ceilings in, and tomorrow the HVAC will come in and finish the workup, and then we'll leave for a week. <laughs> and <laughs> right. not enjoy Things it. might still be in a state of disrepair, but yeah. we have ceilings and plumbing, so it's awesome. Yep. So we'll have um, our spring break next week, so we'll be taking a break uh, from the Newman Center. And from the podcast, And from the too. podcast, yeah. So that'll just hopefully give you a little time to maybe catch up on any episodes you missed or would like to share with others. We'd appreciate any feedback. Uh, and then today we'll, we'll be looking at the woman who comes to Jesus, who may or may not be uh, Mary Magdalene. We don't know that. Mm -hmm. Father Simeon talks about that. But uh, our, our reading comes from Luke chapter 7. And Sarah will read um, that as we begin our discussion today. All right. <clears throat> One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was sitting at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, What is it, teacher? A certain creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose to whom he forgave the more. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. 
Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. story yeah i was going to ask you um <clears throat> so i was just wondering like what was it like for you the first time you went to confession because <laughs> oh, i would just assume yeah. um yeah something as catholics uh if you don't go to confession go it's always yes. encouraged to start there <laughs> but I, I was wondering obviously she's a woman so i mean she's mm -hmm. heard about jesus but most likely she's older than jesus um and she's showing him how repentant her heart is mm -hmm. but to hear those words your sins are forgiven. Mm -hmm. Just wondering, um, that's just what came, stood out to me. I figured to ask. Yeah, well, I'll try to tell the shorter version of this story, <laughs> but um, I knew in advance, obviously, that I would have to make a confession coming into the church, and so I started the Lent before my entrance. So a year in advance, I started working on my examination mm -hmm. of conscience. I wanted to be thorough. Mm -hmm. And I wrote down things that I could remember. You know, I read the Ten Commandments, and I thought about that, and I read the Beatitudes. And I, I was very thorough. At one point, my spiritual director said, I think you can stop now. You're, mm -hmm. you're okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but the Lent beforehand, uh, I was feeling pretty nervous about it, honestly. Already? Already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this is right before the Lent, right before, mm -hmm. so a few weeks before. And I went on a retreat, and another gospel passage with a woman and Jesus came up, and that was the woman caught in adultery. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had all this anxiety about my first confession because it felt like it was going to be like that moment, like all these people standing around me accusing me. Obviously, mm -hmm. no one else is in the yeah. confession. But that's how I was looking at it. And I kept reading the passage. And at the end, it's just Jesus and the woman. And mm -hmm. he uses it as this beautiful opportunity to show his profound love for her. Kind of like he does here in this story. Mm -hmm. He sees her repentant heart and he shows his love and says, you know, I have forgiven you. Go and sin no more. And the accusing voices in my own head silenced at that mm -hmm. moment. Like, this is a moment to encounter the Lord, to experience his love. So I went to my first confession the week of Holy Week, and I was with my spiritual director, and um, it was long. It was like an mm -hmm. hour and a half. I, like I said, I was thorough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, at the end, well, to take a step back, sorry, this is becoming a little long, but I had gone there, and I said to the Lord, I want to buy the Magnificat at the Catholic bookstore, mm -hmm. you know, this devotional guide I use, and I'm probably going to forget after my confession, so would you give me a reminder? Mm -hmm. And my penance for that confession was to pray with the Magnificat from oh. the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, thanks, Jesus. That was yeah. a perfect reminder. So that was right. the story of my first confession. Awesome. But, no. yeah, this woman, I can relate to her, that desire to experience the love of the Lord and that deep gratitude for mm -hmm. being forgiven. Mm -hmm. 
because Peter is kind of like the accuser here. Like um, Father Simeon, uh, he's also, he, I should say, Simon, because he's not Peter yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this si- is probably a different Simon, don't you think? Because he's a Pharisee, not yeah. Simon the fisherman. Yeah, you're right. I should know that, shouldn't I? Um, you're right. Um, but it talks about, uh, it says uh, in page 87, Simon seems to hold a few very clear and very simple religious principles, but this is a harmful simplicity and deceptive piety that sees the world as statically divided into people, good people mm. and sinful people. Um, so we're all sinners here, but towards the end it says, Jesus does not himself, uh, distance himself from the sinful woman. And the strange thing, however, is that the all-holy and all-pure God does not happen to think like Simon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> only God is God, is good, and as God himself is the first to know, and therefore he does not define the good in the sinful as Simon does. Rather, he wants to give all. And I think often, um, you know, sometimes we can we can approach the sacraments or even other people as if we know better than God. Mm-hmm. And I think that this goes back to like the message of divine mercy of uh, God. You know, there's not one sin he can't forgive. One one way I, I greet people when they come to confession, uh, I'll say I'll say to them, um, "May the Holy Spirit give you the grace to make a good and holy confession." And may Mother Mary and Saint Joseph. Uh, or through the intercession of Mother Mary and St. Joseph, may the Holy Spirit fall upon you and fill you so that you may know, and this comes from Divine Mercy, chapter, Divine Mercy, that nothing you confess will make Jesus love you mm. less. And I think also like that physical act of contrition of taking her hair, which I know for women is like a very precious thing, mm-hmm. um, and kissing someone's feet, which I'm kind of like, kind of <laughs> gross. I mean, and I know it is Jesus' feet, but, sh- but it shows how grateful she is yeah. in his presence and maybe, um, you know, She's not aware, or he Sam is not aware of who he's who who Jesus is yet, and somehow she is. Right, right. It's that seeing that we were talking about last week. He mm-hmm. doesn't quite see Jesus correctly yet for who he is, and even at the end, those who are around him are like, "Who is this man?" That's the question that keeps coming up. That even forgives sins, and that seeing motif. I was thinking about it because what Jesus asks Simon is, "Do you see this woman?" Um, so Simon doesn't see the Lord in the right way. He doesn't see the woman in the right way. Mm-hmm. He thinks he does, but mm-hmm. he needs to have that same conversion of Bartimaeus, mm-hmm. not from a literal blindness, but from that spiritual blindness. Yeah, by only judging by the externals. Kind of kind of goes to the point on page 89 where he says, Simon had no wish whatsoever for Jesus to transform his life. He merely wanted to Jesus to canonize his own conceit. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes I think we do that often where we try to make the gospel ours or we try to say, oh, it's okay now that this can happen. And it's just like, no, that's purely against the gospel. Um, or people thinking that, you know, they can live a double lifestyle or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, but I think the fact that the woman is so close to Jesus mm-hmm. and her, her humility proves mm-hmm. her contrition. Mm-hmm. Um so it says on uh, bottom page 89, it says the deep wisdom that grace infuses into her at that moment makes her rush immediately toward the one who, just by being present in her village, makes her feel the full sorrow of her sins. Mm-hmm. And going into the last couple of weeks, it says, like the apostles on the boat, like the blind man Bartimaeus, a sinful woman knows who, or knows that her salvation only lies in having recourse at once to the one who simultaneously judges her by virtue of his sanctity and forgives her by virtue of his immense mercy. Yeah, I don't I don't really know what it is to, for people to think that God 
doesn't want to forgive them but i think it's just like he just does it's like mm-hmm. his his um his will is this, the father's will is to send his son to forgive all and pardon all and then the hard thing is then we're supposed to go do the same mm-hmm. you know so i think like there's a juxtaposition of us needing to be at the feet of jesus and not being above him but allowing right. him to teach through this there's, there's so much going on here i guess yeah. i can look at this forever yeah Moving on to page 90, Mm -hmm. I love the part at the bottom where he says, She does not call any attention to herself, only to him, only to Jesus. All the verbal dialogue takes place between Jesus and the Pharisee. What transpires between Jesus and the woman is the mute dialogue of love, in which only the gestures of the body and the expression of the eyes can communicate what is happening in the soul. Deep and overwhelming love is beyond words and arguments, beyond reason. The Pharisees' words have the effect of separating him from Jesus, of keeping Jesus far from his soul, while the woman's silence unites her to Jesus, the surest bridge and bond. She has understood the full meaning of the injunction, be still and know that I am God. Mm. Um, I think, you know, as a woman who is drawn to silent prayer, that Mm -hmm. especially touched my heart, like just the power of communicating without words and you mm-hmm. experience that even in friendships that you have right you can look at someone across the room and you know what they're thinking just by their body language mm-hmm. and how they gaze at you and how much deeper that is between the woman and Jesus as she is making this extreme as the title says wasteful kind mm-hmm. of expression yep. of love which says so much more than any words can say and I think there's kind of points to like uh, one thing I've been really drawn to is prophetic mm. movements of, uh, of doing prophetic prayer. So if I, for example, if I feel like I need to cut a chain, I'll, I'll like make an arm chop, you know, <laughs> let's say what I believe the Lord's asking me to do. And I think it's so important that we realize our bodies do speak mm-hmm. even when we don't speak words. And I, one thing I found mm-hmm. myself doing recently in prayer, instead of saying, be still and know that I am God, is I will say, I am still because I know you are God. Mm. And just to place her and to repeat that often because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so it's so hard, it's so easy to forget who you're in front of, especially when you're in adoration. Is as silly as that might sound, um, but also um, to waste ourselves in front of him. But what the mm-hmm. world finds as important, eventually the the repentant sinner finds unimportant because mm-hmm. you realize it's just it's like I don't know. I think of like carrying like like an anchor for like a giant boat and just carrying the chain and dragging it everywhere you go, and you just <laughs> you just gotta let, you just gotta let go of yeah. all of that. And she and she. We don't even know if she knows Simon or Simon knows her history, mm-hmm. but she's forgetting about the opinions of others and just being with Jesus, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, it's like he's the only one in the room. It doesn't matter that Simon has this, you know, he, yeah, crazy kind of look at her. Like, oh, she's a sinner. What is she doing here? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, all she sees is Jesus. Yeah, and, and she took her, her most valued, mm-hmm. um, I guess, element, uh, which would be the, the spike nard, which... Um, uh, Father Simeon says that in the parallel episode in Mark, we learn that this single flask of ointment made of spikenard has an incredible value, more than 300 denarii, which is to say the salary of almost a full year of work. This extravagant cost is explained by the fact that ointment of spikenard is an extract produced from a flower that grows only in the Himalaya mountains, which are both notoriously difficult to climb and very remote from Palestine. So an ancient rabbinic tradition has it that the wonderfully fragrant spikenard was the only thing Adam and Eve were allowed to take with them 
when they were expelled from Eden after their sin. So it just kind of shows like when we repent and we are forgiven, we are in that state of grace. And the living grace is such an important thing. I was talking to an exorcist and I said, what's your, mm. what's your best advice? He's like, remain in God's grace. <laughs> remain in God's Always grace, Always a right? good, good thing to um, do. <laughs> but then like, it's got to cost you everything. And, and the most valuable thing was replaced with infinite value mm. in Jesus. Like she mm. takes that spike nard. Um, I always wonder what the spike nard smells like. Yeah, it has to be amazing. <laughs> I just, yeah. I'd never had heard that story about mm-hmm. it coming from the Himalayan mountains and tradition of it being the one thing from the mm-hmm. Garden of Eden. It's so beautiful, I think. It's yep. like she's giving the very best that she has. Mm-hmm. Later he talks about how she probably bought it with the fruits of her sinful lifestyle, the money that she made from that. Oh, but then she, you know, converts even, he, the Lord converts even that to something good and beautiful, which is what he can mm-hmm. do with anything that we give him. Yeah. I think that talks about that on the page 92. Yeah. It says, quite the contrary. All her former eroticism, dark and mercenary, way, as it was, um, now is transformed into generous acts, which have not even lost a certain erotic fervor, and yet concern themselves solely with the person of the one beloved. Uh, this washing of the feet with tears, this rubbing of her hair on feet, and covering of feet with kisses, this anointing of the Lord's feet with precious ointment, what does all this manifest if not the loving frenzy that wants to wipe out the dirty offenses and cruel wounds that she feels her sins have inflicted on Jesus' body? That is just, like, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Again, words, wordsmith. Um, yeah. Gosh, I, I mean, like, I think uh, this kind of reminds me of, like, going into Holy Thursday of when we wash feet mm-hmm. and one thing I've done every year since is I always kiss the person's feet and it's kind of a weird thing to do but you're just like if I'm gonna die tomorrow I'm gonna let these people know that I love them and, and lowering yourself and some people like they look at you like oh my gosh she's gonna kiss my feet <laughs> oh. um, and now that I've done that for cer- certain people who have you know passed mm. um, I hope they can remember that that it's 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 kissing Jesus in them you know it's mm. not it's not doing that but to do that for some people's feet and yeah some people's feet I'll be honest they're not the most attractive <laughs> But I think you have to die yourself and just saying, like, who cares? Let's, let's, let's just go all out for Jesus. And I think yeah. he kind of points to that talking on page 92 above there. He says, conversion is not here a casual word, mm-hmm. since it implies that all of a person's vital energy, until now wasted and ab- abusively exploited, is now converted, recycled, if you will, transformed into an energy of love that unites to God. And such conversion occurs by virtue of Jesus' mere presence as catalyst. Mm-hmm. So I think so often people, you know, the question is, are you all in? Mm-hmm. And if Jesus isn't touching every part of your life, you are not. Mm-hmm. And there will be times where you're living in conversion, you're not. But I think, like, that's, uh, I think, where we miss often, like, with confirmation. Like, a lot of people are not mm-hmm. all in. I think the importance of, like, being all in, or at least the best of your knowledge, is so important. And Simon is kind of sitting there, like, he's one who's clearly not. Mm-hmm. And this woman clearly mm-hmm. is. And I think sometimes, I think we're afraid live in fear of saying I don't believe you're all in mm-hmm. by your actions by the, what you physically mm-hmm. do with your life mm-hmm. and then to this woman it's like clearly she took, the, she, she took the most expensive <laughs> thing and That's she is right. all in yeah I think too there's a powerful message here for our culture which takes the the power of sexuality mm. and twists it so darkly mm-hmm. right in many ways but here she is through the power of Jesus, converting her sexual energy and power, that 
eroticism that he's talking about that had been used for evil now it's being used to express her love and desire for Jesus mm -hmm. and purity um, and it really it reminded me I've been talking a couple times now about uh, uh, Ratzinger mm -hmm. and he wrote this as Pope so Pope Benedict the 16th um, sorry, I just dropped something. Yeah. Father's picking it up for me. <laughs> the litany of trust. We don't want to drop that. No, no, no. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so he wrote uh, an encyclical, Deus Caritas Est, which talks about the Eros love of God. So mm -hmm. sometimes we're afraid to talk about our Eros mm -hmm. um, because I think it has been so misused and abused. But God has an Eros love for us. He has mm -hmm. this deep, passionate desire for us. And of course, he would give that to us too so that we could love him in response in that mm -hmm. way. And so you see the woman doing this, loving Jesus with all of her being, including mm -hmm. all the sexual energy, which now is channeled rightly. Yeah. I think that maybe we can just talk about the, the four loves. So you have like yeah. in, in the Greek, which I think is really important, uh, storge would be like a base mm -hmm. love. Like, so it's like I love hot dogs or you know, storge, uh, I don't know. The weather you know very very I guess non-significant things or not, that you can still have an affection for them and then you have philia which would be like brotherly love mm -hmm. friendship love and then they have erotic love which would be or eros which would be like between a husband and a wife and then you have agape which is like sacrificial love mm -hmm. and that, the, the transition that uh, Ratzinger talks about is that need uh, to have our arrows transformed into agape, you know, to purify our arrows. And I think that's like very hard because, well, we don't live in the most pure culture. We live in a very uh, disordered understanding of arrows. Like our uh, Pope Francis talks about it quite a bit, the throwaway culture where we use um, one another. And we, I think we kind of lie to ourselves saying it doesn't hurt mm -hmm. or it's not a big deal. Uh, it's like, and we, then we say that one of my least favorite words, which is I'm fine, <laughs> if we've been taken advantage of or yeah. um, whatever. I don't know. I just It just mm. kind of frustra frustrates me. But I think, yeah, there's an invitation. If you haven't checked out that uh, encyclical, Deus Caritas Est, really which, which means God is love. It's short, too. It won't take yep. you long to read it. My favorite type <laughs> of reading. Um, but I think it, that that means you're going to have to, like, know that the Lord is inviting you into a new reputation, which um, Father Simeon talks about on page 94. He says, what probably worries Simon most is his own reputation. Yeah. Uh, who can't relate to that, right? <laughs> uh, but he says, for this woman, by coming to Jesus while he is Simon's guest, has openly contaminated, I love that, openly contaminated mm -hmm. Simon's home and his table with her sins. Uh, Simon, who believes himself just, puts many conditions on God, thereby limiting, and I love this line, and in a sense, quote, caging, unquote, mm -hmm. God's mercy by not allowing God to act in a manner contrary to Simon's own most ungenerous and prejudiced ideas, which stem from his concern for worldly religious respectability. You know, I think often we can fall in that habit, too, of like trying to like please others and trying to be respected by our peers and totally not having Jesus as Lord, having mm -hmm. Jesus at the center of what we do. And I found so much freedom in that by one time having a, a religious sister to say, you know, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what the Pope thinks. It doesn't matter what the bishop thinks or even your vocation director thinks. It only matters what God mm -hmm. thinks. And this woman clearly she has gets got, it. She got it right. <laughs> she gets it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for, I guess to go to the bottom of that paragraph, she says she wants to destroy all the barriers that exist between herself and Jesus in order to come to be put but one thing with him, as St. Paul says, for me to live as Christ. You know, and can, can we honestly say that 
Christ is your lifeline. He is your breath. He is your everything. Um, but you, but you're again. You're not doing it to show people. You're doing it to show him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that's such right. a hard thing. That's such right. a hard thing. Yeah, the only one that matters is Jesus mm-hmm. in her eyes. Mm. Yeah, and he does talk about that on ninety six too about how she gazes at Jesus. Mm. The essential thing is not to look away from Jesus because as long as he is there at the center of our souls, reclining on the couch of our heart, we can be sure that we shall not greatly go astray from his way. It's staying in the state of grace. If you stay close to Mm -hmm. Jesus, it's not so hard or less hard. And I don't know French, so I'm not going to try to say that. Gazing is what saves, says Simone Weil, in an inspired Mm. insight, very close to the outlook in outlook to Teresa Vavla's definition of prayer, I look at him and he looks at me. Mm. Um, so that gaze of love exchanged between the two of them, Jesus and the woman, that must have filled her heart with everything that she needed. Mm-hmm. There were no words that needed to be said. Yeah, and I think in that the simplicity of that is there is no place where she's not allowing Jesus to look at her. Right. Because he's totally exposed, especially when you're, you're in adoration. Yeah. He's naked on the altar, yeah. by the way. Right. <laughs> he holds nothing back, and then sometimes uh-huh. we act like he doesn't see us. We're back in the garden, hiding, and we're yeah. like, where are you? But I think it's like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in front of the God of the universe. What else do I need? Right. Um, yeah, going back to the question mm-hmm. he asked Simon, do you see this woman? He can yeah. ask it because he does see her. He sees her yeah. perfectly. I see you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember when I gave a um, homily on women who had had uh, in the past had a uh, miscarriage mm-hmm. and I did have to say the words I see you because mm-hmm. sometimes you feel like you're forgotten mm-hmm. in the crowd so I just want to say for all of our listeners who are um, maybe have been carrying some heavy sins around or, or feel forgotten uh, you are um, partially I don't know fully I can't say until we're done but you are much of the reason uh, anyone why we're doing this podcast mm-hmm. because we don't want anybody to feel like they're not seen or not wanted mm-hmm. um and just that look, that loving gaze. And sometimes you can tell when people believe just by the way they look mm-hmm. at one another or how they um, live in Christ to know that um, yeah, God is with us and he works through broken people mm-hmm. just like you and me. Um, maybe we can kind of close with like the last chap- last page, page 98. Mm-hmm. Um, Only the loved person yeah. lives in peace. I love mm-hmm. that one. Yep, I was just going to say that. So yeah. we stole the words from Sorry. <laughs> No, that's okay. You can keep going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, we have to, he says, uh, we have to remain, in, we remain in prison, victims, or people remain victims of their own prejudice, their refusal of God's love, incapable of feeling the deep emotions that only God can occasion in a human heart. Um, so if we aren't allowing Jesus to move us to a place that nothing else can satisfy, then we're not mm-hmm. truly encountering him. And it can take time because uh, once I say once until we realize we are the woman, we are Simon, and we are mm-hmm. everybody person in the Gospels. And, you know, this is the word of God. It's not anybody's word. We should have a, a reverence towards that being like, wow. Like I remember Sister Bernadette being here last week when she said the words, when I realized that God wanted me. Yes. I think that is just like so mm-hmm. um, powerful. I, I, I know for me, it was like when I realized he was truly present in the Eucharist, like all the scales fell and then nothing else came close to that. And I was like, oh, he's it. He <laughs> yeah, once it. you've been loved by the Lord, nothing else satisfies. Yeah, and then sometimes he loves us enough to to, uh, yeah, to to go back to our old ways. 
and just a gently say, I'm ready when you are, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. I have a better plan for you and I will help you, you know, realize the better place is being at my feet. So it's not, it's not a first person to be at Jesus' feet. I think of Martha and Mary mm-hmm. and who chose the better part, right? right. Mary did. Right. Um, maybe we can just do a, a quick shout out to anybody uh, for listeners. Um, I don't even know who it is because we just did this like four days ago. It feels like we're just I know. <laughs> right back in saddle. Um, I really want to go into the next, the next chapter already, but we'll get there. So we'll be the, reading the, the abandoned picture yet. And yes, I am buying time to think while I talk. Um, <laughs> But I'll, I'll do it for uh, one of our students. Uh, I'll give a shout out to uh, Jeremiah DeGroote. He is uh, one of our servant leaders. He's a really good man. And I've always been inspired by his humility. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, even his courage when he's not in a good spot to not avoid community. Mm-hmm. And that just really inspires me. Yeah, it is I'll give a shout out to him. Yeah, I'll give one to Ariana, mm-hmm. uh, who has a really beautiful heart and deep love for her friend mm-hmm. who is suffering today too so we'll pray for her also yeah i'm going for a hopeful listener i'm, I'm looking at a picture of john paul ii so i know he's listening to this he's a saint. <laughs> um if I, I had to say a hopeful listener um i'll go with the the dean of the college that probably be a good oh, hopeful listener you never yeah. know who comes through so I'll be my That's hopeful cool. listener. <laughs> and I'm looking at Father Zach's nice uh, sweatshirt, Mundelein yep. Seminary. So mm-hmm. let's just say the seminarians at Mundelein. Yeah. could have them listen. That'd be fun. Yeah, and if, you, you, if, you, if you're listening, you can send this to them. <laughs> and then um, we will, uh, again, if you have any prayer requests, please send them our way at titancatholics uh, at gbdioc.org. And I just want to say thank you for those who have been listening, and we'll continue to uh, pray for you. Uh, we'll close in a brief prayer. Um, praying for that gift to surrender it all before mm-hmm. the Lord because that's really <laughs> what it's all about. So we'll cl- quick close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Lord Jesus, so often we are Simon, and we are the woman at your feet. We just pray for the grace to surrender more, to see the beauty of your feet, that we're nailed to a cross for our sins, Please help us meet you where you desire to meet us and help us only be concerned about your love and your will for our lives. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. We trust in you. We just ask for blessings upon all our listeners, especially those who may be afraid to place themselves at your feet, to place whatever they find more important than you at your feet. May you shatter their fears with your love, Lord Jesus, and drown their fears with your love. And we make all these prayers in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, well, God bless you. Have a great week.